Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you have your Bibles, whether in a print or a digital form, would you join me in John chapter 14? We're in a series we're calling I Am. We have been looking at descriptions of who Jesus is from his own words, what Jesus said about himself. And uh, we're going to move on to uh, one of probably the, the more famous and familiar ones, John chapter 14. Let me start with this question. Anyone ever been troubled? You ever been troubled? You ever, have you been troubled in the last 48 hours? Anybody? Honest? Okay, so it's a part of life. It's a part of our existence. Here's what Jesus says about that. I've got some help for you. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's a good word right there. When he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, he's saying, set your hearts at ease. As you look to me, find peace, find comfort, find hope. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. I ask the question then, why or how? See, when Jesus is saying this, he's beginning to talk to his disciples. On the night before his crucifixion, he's talking to his disciples about things that are coming this way. He's just talked to Peter about how he's going to deny him, With if you know that story, had to be a heartbreaking moment. His disciples are struggling and probably uh, concerned. They're probably confused about everything that's happening around them. And so Jesus' answer is, do not let your hearts be troubled. So he has to shift their attention. Here's what he says in verse two of John chapter 14. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Maybe you've heard this passage of scripture before. I know I grew up in a, in a church and in a kind of a time where we, we use the King James Version quite a bit. And so when we would read this verse, we wouldn't read it, my father's house has many rooms. We would read it, in my father's house are many mansions. Anybody ever heard that before? And I'm a little bit <laughs> troubled by that because I'm wondering if the NIV is ripping me off. Wouldn't you rather have a mansion over a room? Anybody? I mean, if I got to choose, like I like my room, but I'd love a mansion. And there's this idea that we have behind that. Here's the reality. The King James Version was translated in 1611. It was translated in, in many ways that don't change the um, the truths of scripture, but there's some of the wording, the language things that either are antiquated and we don't understand them, or they were translated in a way that maybe was not as accurate as what some of the more modern translations would be for modern English. So you have the NIV saying rooms and you have the King James Version saying mansions, probably what's called the modern English version may get this a little more clear for us. Here's verse two from, from the MEV, in my father's house are many dwelling places. Jesus is calling us, and no matter what you do with this here, Jesus says, look, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to take you to that place. And he says, so knowing that promise, knowing that I have a place for you, don't be troubled. 
put your confidence in me. And then one of his disciples asks the question that's probably on all of their lips. He just had the courage to do it. John chapter 14, verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Good question, Tom, isn't it? It's like, he's like, I got Jesus. We don't know where you're going. You say you know the way, we don't know where you're going. So how are we gonna know the way to get there? You're gonna have to help us out here, he says. Verse six of John chapter 14, Jesus answered, and here's our I am statement for today. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What you have in that passage of scripture is a foundation for life. It's a game changer when you're trying to determine what philosophy you're gonna live by to have a meaningful life. And in a world that looks at things very differently, this passage of scripture unlocks so much reality for us for how we're supposed to live. Does anybody remember the show Mythbusters? Does anybody know the show I'm talking about? Remember that show? It was those, those guys, and, and then they ended up getting a team where they would, they would test something scientifically, and they would pr- try to prove or disprove a certain myth that was out there. Fun show to watch and to see this. Well, what Jesus does in John 14, 6 is bust some myths in our culture. This is a myth buster of a verse. And so what I want to show you out of this passage of Scripture are four busted myths, four things that we believe in our culture that do not line up with John 14, six. Four things that we hear people say, or maybe even we've thought for ourselves, that when we consider in light of what Jesus says, those myths are busted and they just don't hold true anymore. Here's the first one, number one. This is myth number one, you do you. Anybody, you ever heard anybody say that? Ah, you do you. You know, you just do what you wanna do, just be yourself. Now look, some of that's true. You wanna be true to who you are. You don't wanna try to be somebody you're not. You wanna live out with your personality and your giftings and the calling that God's given you. But this has become the mantra of our times. Whoever you are, whatever you want to do, that's the most important thing. You go after it, you do you, boo-boo. That's what people say, right? Like that's, that's the call. And every generation has this anthem. Let me read to you from the passage of scripture. This is from the gospel according to Sinatra. Chapter 11, verse 12. For what is a man and what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. I did it my way. Give me an amen for that, right? Isn't that, isn't, that the, isn't that the mantra? Isn't that what people say? Now look, cool song. Like when I hear that song, it kind of fires you up a little bit. It gets you motivated. I'm not knocking being yourself or using your gifts or having some initiative, being an individual. I'm just saying if you take it too far, then at some point you just say, hey, and nothing else matters. I'll just do what I wanna do. I'll do it my way. But look, every generation has their anthems like that. If you wanna hear one about heartbreak, it's the Backstreet Boys when they say, I want it that way, right? And then maybe a little more recently, the great theologian Lady Gaga, you ever heard of her? 
She said, I'm on the right track, baby, because I was born this way. And look, here's what Jesus said. He didn't say that you do it my way or that way or born this way. He says, I am the way. And there is no other way. You put your focus and your confidence and your life. John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way. Here's the challenge. That's in opposition to what we think so many other ways in our culture. Now, when Jesus says this, he's talking specifically to two groups, two audiences in that time. Some of them would be Jewish and some of them would be Gentile. And when he says to the Jewish people, I am the way, he's giving them a real challenge because they've had another way. They've had a way that Jesus came to fulfill. It's all clear in scripture as we look at it, but Jesus came to fulfill a way of if you were gonna be right with God, you had to offer sacrifice. You had to live a legalistic life. It was all based on how you live and what you do and good works. And Jesus says to them, look, it's not a sacrificial system. You can try other things. They will fail. Jesus is the real way. Like you can try other things, but there's no other way that's going to work. Jesus is the real way. And that's really important because even within religion, we still try to do that. We still try to be legalistic. We still try to do things by works. We still try in our own ways to do whatever it's gonna take to try to win God's favor, to try to get his salvation. And here's the deal that we see. Jesus says there's, there's no other way to do this. He says, I'm the real way. You have to put your hope and your confidence and your life in me. So Jesus is the real way. So he says that to his Jewish audience, to his Gentile audience, he also says Jesus is the only way. He's not just the real way, he's the only way. Here's the reason why. Where for the Jewish people, they said there was just one God and you had to work your way to his salvation. The Gentiles said there are many gods and you got options for salvation. In fact, so many that you can pick and choose and you can have multiple ones. So they practiced what we would call pagan idolatry. They would took and look at all these different things and they would try to find peace and satisfaction and security and provision and joy and salvation in things and they would look to these different things and these idols and they practiced idolatry. So they would put their hope in things that really weren't alive and really weren't the way and if one was good, many were better and Jesus is saying, look, I'm the only way. In, in that culture, depending on what your job was, whatever kind of trade guild, it was almost be like a union you were a part of, you probably had an idol that belonged to that trade guild, that union, and you would worship that idol. Oftentimes, cities would have an idol, regions would have an idol, and they would worship that idol as well. And then everybody in that day and time was supposed to be a part of what we would refer to as the imperial cult. There was this idea that you would worship, one of your many saviors you would worship would be the Roman deities, including the emperor himself, and you would worship the emperor and you would lift that up. It was almost like an act of your patriotism. What that meant was that they had turned their government into a religion and they had turned their political leader into an idol. I'm glad that couldn't happen in 2020. I get these alerts on my phone from time to time. 
Like it'll tell me what's, what's going on through the, the different news outlets here locally. And they'll say, hey, 475 is backed up or this exit at 75 is closed, or there's this slowdown on this road, or there's construction here, and they say, hey, look, don't go there, because if you go there, it's gonna mess you up. And sometimes it's irritating to hear those things. Sometimes I have to change my plans if I think, well, I was gonna go past airport highway. You know, you think those things. And then you go, but I'm thankful for that, because I don't wanna get stuck somewhere where I don't wanna be. Look, I'm gonna ask for permission to just speak from the heart for a moment. And some of you won't like what I'm about to say. Some of you won't agree with what I'm about to say. And some of you might even misunderstand what I'm about to say. But when I studied that passage and I realized that Jesus had to say to people, look, I'm the only way, and some of those people had made their politics their idol, I thought to myself, that's not that different from where we are today. Look, there can be a fine line between patriotism and idolatry. Now I say that, and I'm patriotic. Look, do what you need to do, and you vote, and you, you, you do what the steps are to have the nation we want to live in, and one that is godly and honors him. But what I've seen in some people's lives these last few weeks has been discouraging, and as a pastor, heartbreaking, And we've got to be careful because there's a time when there's a fine line between our patriotism and our idolatry. And you would say, well, Chad, how do I know what that is? Let me give you a couple of questions to consider. If political ideology is more important than biblical theology, politics may be an idol. Like if you care more about what you politically think than what God's word says, then maybe you've got some priorities in the wrong place. And what happens is when we take those steps, it not only can mess up our relationship with God, but it definitely messes up our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give you another question to think about. If a lost election is more important than lost souls, politics may be an idol. Like if you're distracted from the purpose that God has called you to, that the people you work with, your neighbors, your family, those that don't know the truth and hope in Jesus Christ, and if somehow the lostness of an election may have you more worked up than the lostness of someone's soul, then maybe we're distracted from what really matters. Here's the last one. If you're putting your confidence in a president for the future instead of a savior who is coming again, politics may be an idol. Because we've been called to not be divided and not be distracted and not live defeated. And some of you are saying, Chad, why are you saying this? And some of you are going, I know why you're saying this. It's because this pastor, he's real conservative. (laughs) And some of you are saying, well, this pastor, he's real liberal. (laughs) Nah, it's because this pastor wants to be a real shepherd. And what I've seen... What I've seen in some people's lives these last few weeks is fear and frustration and disappointment. And look, all of these things are important. We need to live our lives with the stewardship of citizenship, but don't confuse what is important for what's eternal. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says, look, I know there's things all around you that have you messed up. And in the midst of that, do not let your hearts be troubled. And Tom says, Jesus, how are we going to do that? And Jesus says, I'm the way. 
Put your focus in me. There's none better, there's none other, which takes us to the second myth that we need to consider that Jesus busts in this verse. Myth number two, live your truth. This is an idea that's in our culture. It's a message, we talked about it several weeks ago, where people say, hey, look, you live your truth and I'll live my truth and we just live what we think is true. And that works with some things. Like, like it'll work, I'll, I'll give it to you. It, it'll work with football teams. And we get a little frustrated sometimes because when it comes time for the college playoffs, we don't always agree with the numbers they give to teams. It works with restaurants. You might think the burger at one place is, is better than the burger at another, and I might disagree, but you, you eat your truth and I'll eat mine. Can I get an amen? Look, we think that with movies, we think it with music, we think it with TV shows, but it doesn't work with truth. Like all truth is not the same. And we have to ask the question, like, who gets to determine what is true? Jesus says, I'm the truth. And if you can live your truth and I can live mine at some point, then nothing is true. Here's a quote from Ravi Zacharias. He says, truth by definition is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. If everything is true, then nothing is false. Does that make sense? Do you see what he's saying here? If everything's over here and true, then then nothing's false. And if nothing is false, then it would also be true to say everything is false. We cannot have it both ways. The reality is, if you're gonna talk about truth, at some point, there has to be an exclusivity to it. Jesus answered when the disciples asked him, John 14, six, I am the way, he says, and I am the truth. Why is the truth so important? John chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus tells us this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Look, that saying is totally countercultural. And when we talk about it, we need to talk about it with grace. Sometimes when when we wanna say, hey, well, I've got the truth and you don't, it can take us to a place where we have some arrogance in our lives, but we need to be careful because if we find ourselves in a place where we're not holding on to what's true, we can honestly begin to look quite foolish. We have a phone system that runs through our uh, offices here at the church. Let me tell you a little story that happened just this week. My wife Rhonda uh, works here at the church as well, and she happened to be answering the phones this day. And uh, at one point, she called me, and right here on, on this is the phone from my office, right here on this little, sorry, dusty window there, right, right there on there, the name comes up of who's calling. And I looked down and saw the name, and I saw it was her. Well, the other day, we had tried to call one of our children. When we did, you know, like on speakerphone, we woke them up. And it took them about 20 minutes into the conversation to be coherent again. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I thought, wouldn't it be funny if she thinks I'm just up in my office sleeping? So when she called, I picked up the phone and I went, oh, like this, you know? And she's like, did I wake you up, you know? And then it's like, ha, 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 you know, and this kind of thing, because she thinks I'm cute and, you know, I was like, I'm really funny, you know, I'm just a funny guy, you know, and this is happening. So a little while later, the phone rings again, and I look down, and it's Rhonda again, and I'm thinking, well, I'm still funny. <laughs> so I picked up the phone, and I go, mm. Hello? 
The voice on the other end does not sound like Rhonda. And it's somebody who goes, is this Pastor Chad Gilligan? What was a very distinct voice? Someone I know. And my immediate thought was, man, Rhonda really impersonates them well. Because I looked down at the window when I picked up the phone and it had the name there and it was Rhonda. And and I just went, "Mm, yeah, this is him. And then they told me who they were. And then I looked down and it was an outside line. It was not Rhonda on the phone. Now, I had been going this whole time believing that the truth was that I was talking to Rhonda. So I was just, "Mm, yeah, okay. Because I'm funny, right? (laughs) But I went from funny to being a fool because I acted in a way believing something that was not true. Now, how many times does that happen in our lives? That we think we know what the truth is, so we act in a certain way, and at the end of the day, we end up not being funny, but we end up just being foolish. And here's the reality. If you stake your whole life on something, if you build your values and your character and your, your whole life on something that is not true, in the end, that's not just being foolish. That could be fatal. And so Jesus says, look, I am the way And I am the truth. And then here's the third myth that he busts in this passage for us. Number three, live your best life. You ever heard anybody say that? Oh, you ought to just live your best life. When you're having a great time, you're like, I'm living my best life. The reality is Jesus didn't tell us to live our best life. He told us that he is our life. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I'm the life, that our life is to find its purpose and reality in him. He gives us some insight on this the night before he dies as he's teaching this to us. And when when Jesus talks about life, he's already given us a lesson on how to live. Previously, here's what Jesus had said to the disciples. How do you live your life? Mark chapter eight, look at verse um, 34 here. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's how you live your best life? But that doesn't match with what our culture thinks, does it? Because Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus tells us that living our best life looks a little different than what we might think. See, life is found not in serving yourself, but in serving others. That you're willing to, even if it means at times putting aside your own rights, even if it means at times putting aside your own desires, that you're willing to serve others because in doing that, you're living the life he's called you to. And life is found not in taking up your cause, but in taking up your cross. I'm not saying you don't stand for what's right. I'm not saying you don't speak out about truth, but I'm just saying if you're so focused on your cause that you miss out on what Jesus wants, what he's actually called us to do is to live our lives for him and take up our cross. And so many of us are trying to find our identity in so many different things that actually end up just being a fake. We're just lip syncing our way through life and we're missing out on what real life is all about. Something momentous happened 30 years ago today. November November 15th, 1990. Does anybody remember the pop group Millie Vanilli? Does anybody remember Millie Vanilli? 
They got busted. If you're not familiar with this, they had a Grammy-winning album in 1989. Girl, you know it's true. Anybody want to hear me sing a little bit? No way. And they won Grammys. They were a huge hit, only to find out 30 years ago that these two dudes that were up there on the stage, music videos, pictures, everything, were only lip-syncing the whole time. Those guys were not the guys singing. Somebody else was. It was all just a scam. And the story is interesting. When they interviewed one of the guys in the band, I don't know if it was Millie or Vanilli, but they said, we sold our souls to the devil. We lied to our families and our friends. We let down our fans. We realized exactly what we did to achieve our success. We made some very big mistakes and we apologize. It's interesting, it's like this light bulb went on for them at the end when it was all over and they realized that they had lived a life that was all a sham. Look, I, I hope that if we're living our lives in a way where our identity is tied to who we are or what we can do instead of tied to who Jesus is, that we figure that out before we come to a point where we eternally find out that we were just faking it, that our life was a, a sham. Our true identity for life can only be found in Jesus Christ and who he is, which takes us then to the last myth in this passage, number four, all roads lead to God. Have you ever heard that before? that all roads lead to God. No matter how you believe or what you do, no matter where you're from or, or what your religion is, even if you don't have one, all roads lead to God. And the reality is that's completely not what Jesus said. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, Paul says this very clearly in, in 1 Timothy chapter two. Look at what he says. He says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. He says, look, there's no other option. Jesus says there's no other way. And a lot of times in our culture, we don't, we don't like that because it seems to be somewhat challenging to us. Why is that? Well, because it seems arrogant to some to say that Jesus is the only way. Like, you Christians, where do you get off saying that your religion is the only way? How can you be so arrogant? And uh, one of the theologians of our time, Amy Orr Ewing, had some thoughts on this. And she says, look, sometimes people will say that, that it's arrogant for Christians to believe that. And they'll tell what's called the parable of the elephant how there were these two blind, or excuse me, three blind scribes that came up to an elephant and starting touching the elephant, trying to figure out what is this thing. And one grabbed hold of the tail and said, oh, this is a rope. And another grabbed hold of the leg of the elephant and said, oh no, this is a tree, not a rope. And then the third says, you're both wrong as they grabbed hold of the trunk and said, as I look at this, it's a snake. And all three of them thought they knew what it was by just what they were touching. And so what people say is that that's what the religions of men are. That each religion touches on a different part of our ultimate reality. And therefore, anyone is arrogant to say that they have the whole truth because they only have a part of the truth. They only know a portion of the truth. Does that make sense? So it's arrogant for you to say you have the whole truth. Here's the funny part, though. If you step back... <laughs> 
and you say that you figured it all out because you see that all these other religions were blind, but you figured it out, isn't that the epitome of arrogance? (laughs) Isn't that arrogance at a height? To say that religious leaders in the past were blind, but you figured it out? See, when you say Christians are arrogant for saying they know the way, it's just as arrogant to say that Buddha or Muhammad or the Hindu religion is all arrogant for what they believe. Every religion makes these exclusive claims. And the issue isn't about being arrogant. The issue is about who's got the truth. And so sometimes people struggle with Jesus being the only way because they say it's arrogant. Sometimes people struggle because it seems exclusive to say that Jesus is the only way. It seems exclusive to some to say that Jesus is the only way, that somehow you're excluding other people when you say that. The reality is that every religion is in some way exclusive. And here's the deal. Even when you say that you want to be inclusive and not be exclusive in any way, as soon as you even say that, you're being an intolerant person because whatever position you hold will exclude someone else. Every truth that you lay hold of, every position you take at some point is exclusive. Every religion at its core is exclusive. And again, the issue is not about being exclusive or excluding other people. The issue here is about what is true and what is real. It's about where we put our trust in God. C.S. Lewis, the the great British writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, in, in his classic work, Mere Christianity, says this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Have you ever heard somebody say that about Jesus? Jesus was just a great teacher. C.S. Lewis said he'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg. That one always makes me laugh. Or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman, or something worse. Lewis goes on to say, you can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So Jesus was either a madman a liar, a myth, or he really was and is the son of God. See, the reality is we're confronted with this truth that you can't just say Jesus was a a good moral teacher or there's some things you can pull from him. He was either a lunatic if he thought he was the son of God or he was a liar if he said he was the son of God or then he's actually the Lord and he was and is the son of God. See, it's not just arrogant, it's not just exclusive, it is an invitation to say that Jesus is the only way. He is inviting us to come to him. He is giving us that opportunity. Think of what he says there. He says, no one comes to the Father. We can't come to the Father on our own. Because of our sin, because of the things we've done in rebellion to God, we can't come to the Father on our own. There's no way for us to do it. So we are hopeless and we are lost on our own. No one comes to the Father except, aren't you thankful for loopholes? And Jesus is the loophole. He says, look, you can't get in on your own except I've done something for you. 
I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to stop focusing just on the accept and realize that no one gets there on their own. You can't and no other religion is going to get you there. No other thing will help you. Every other truth, every other religion says that we have to get in based on who we are and we will always fail. But Jesus says you get in because of who I am and that is an invitation to the truth that he has given to us. And you say, how did we get here? This whole conversation about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, didn't it start with being troubled? You remember when I asked you about being troubled? We got to that point in John chapter 14, verse one, when Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When we are troubled, we are called to believe. And if you put your trouble in any other place, you will only be dissatisfied. Have you noticed that that's been the theme in all these I am statements? I am the bread. I am the light, I am the gate, I am the shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. Every time Jesus is saying, if you put your hope in anything else, you will only be left empty and frustrated. We have this hope in these troubled times that we can hold on to Jesus. How do we do that? Because he's given us a way to look ahead to who he is, go back to the beginning, John chapter 14, verse two. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. And if we're not so, what I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He's telling us that in these troubled times, we hold out, we hold on to the hope that Jesus is preparing a place for us, that our hope is not found in this place, but in his place. Our hope is not found in what we can do, but only what he can do, that we put our trust in him, and if we'll believe, it will help us in troubled times, and that's why he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and yet sometimes I get stuck on some of these things. Let me show you the picture that he's painting. Do you remember when he talked about where he said, in my father's house it has many rooms? I'll be, I'll be genuinely honest with you. I was a little ticked off because I wanted a mansion. Like the room was a little disappointing until I understood what archaeologists have found. They found the, the little type of, of, of compound that Jesus is talking about here. The words that's, that's used for this is an insula. And the, what it would be is that there would be a home that the family would have, and then there would be a courtyard, and then as, as the sons would go and marry, they would add on to that courtyard, and in that insula, there would be one house after the other, and what would happen is that when it was time for the son to take his bride, he would go and he would build a place for her. He would build a place for them, and he would say, I'm gonna go away, and I'm gonna prepare a place for us. And then when I come back, I'm gonna take you to be with me. We are gonna be together and we are gonna be in a place that is safe and we are gonna be in a place where we'll be with our people. Now don't think about the fact that you'd have to live with your in-laws because that could ruin this illustration. But here's, here's the thing. It'd be great to have a mansion in heaven, but I'd rather live someplace where Jesus' name is on my mailbox. I want to be someplace where I'm close with him and understand that when he says I'm the way, the truth, and the life, in times like this, he's giving you an invitation. Look, Jesus is not arrogant. He is not exclusive. He is inviting you to be at peace today and to be with him forever, that you can be in his presence. 
And that you don't have to find it in who you are or in what you do. You find that hope and you find that life in him. And can I tell you that when you finally get there, that's when you finally know who you are and you're truly free. And so our worship team's gonna come and, and gonna lead us in a song that says, Jesus be at the center of it all. That Jesus be the center of our lives. We're gonna make that our prayer as, as we wrap up this time, this service together. But here's what I wanna ask you to do. Wherever you are right now, would you, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And I guess I'd ask you to consider, is Jesus the way for you? Have you made Jesus the truth in your life? Have you, have you found your identity in your life, not in yourself or what you can do, but have you found it in him? And in this moment, if you need to stop and say, Jesus, I need to make you the very center of my life. I need to give you my life. I realize that there's no way to the Father except through you. And so Jesus, I accept that invitation today. If you need that, then what I'm gonna ask you to do in just a moment, that you pray this prayer with me, that you pray it from your heart, that you take that step. There's gonna be people all over in this room, in homes and, and watching this. They're gonna pray it along with us. And maybe even as we pray this, Maybe you've been in a place where your heart's been troubled. And all over again, you need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know there's no other way but you. Then I'm gonna challenge you to focus on that in this moment. If right now you say, Jesus, I, I need you as my savior and Lord. I need to give you my life. Or if you know he's your savior and Lord, then right where you are, would you, would you repeat this? Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear heavenly father, I thank you for Jesus for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin and be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord. I proclaim today that you are the way and the truth and the life and I find life in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, in this moment, we look to you and put our trust in you. As we sing this song, we make this our prayer. Jesus, would you be the center of it all in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus, be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, come on. Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus, be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world.
center of your church Jesus be the center of your church yes Lord Jesus be the center of your church and every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess you Jesus Jesus Father, that's our prayer. God, in a world that's filled with so much that's a distraction and ways that we buy into myths of what, what might be true, Lord, may we be willing to say that you're at the center of our lives, that you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life and that it's only through you that we find fulfillment. It's only through you that we find peace and purpose. It's only through you that we come to the Father and are saved. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. May we hold on to the promise of who you are so that our hearts will not be troubled. In Jesus' name, amen.